On this two-year celebration episode of Cult Cinema Calicade, we'll be discussing Zardoz from 1974, directed by John Borman and starring Sean Connery. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a bi-weekly movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film from cinema's past, considered but not limited to being a cult classic. As a disclaimer, each episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Episodes available on cultcinemacavalcade.com and iTunes. Like the show on Facebook and follow on Twitter at CC Cavalcade. For questions, suggestions, and all inquiries, contact us via mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Zaldus gave us the gun. We were the chosen one. Something happened changed everything. You could be anything. You could do anything. I'm just an exterminator. I know nothing. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 55. This podcast is two years old. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your co-hoster that shoots seeds, Cullen. Put that dick away, it's evil. Today we are talking about the 1974 film Zardoz. Cullen, tell them the story of Zardoz. In the distant future, a savage trained only to kill finds a way into a community of boredom mortals that alone preserves humanity's achievements. Zardoz is written and directed by John Borman and stars Sean Connery, Charlotte Rampling, Sarah Kresselman, and John Alderton. Hey, Colin. Hey, what? We've been doing this dumb show for two years now. Do you want to quit or keep going? I guess I'll, I'll keep going unless I'm told otherwise. Okay, fine. Two years ago this week, The Wizard of Speed and Time dropped, and then last year we celebrated that with Abraxas, and now we celebrate that with Zardoz. This one has been requested quite a bit for us to do. I think it's just because like every milestone that we cross through, you know, like one year and two year, the title has to have a Z or X in it. It has to be something bizarre. What are we going to do next year? Because those two, yeah, those two titles too. Well, even the first one, Wizard of Speed and Time, it's Z's and W's and yeah. Before Zardoz, let's look back. At the last year of Cult Cinema Cavalcade Year 2, call it any favorite moments or episodes, warm memories from the second year of the show? The thing that I'm most thankful for is Neil Breen. I think we exposed a lot of people to him, and also we connected with a lot of people over him at PopCon. Just his existence of being one of the most inept filmmakers that's ever graced this planet. That's a fond memory for me and a favorite thing that'll hold to my heart. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I'd say this is probably going to go down as that damn Neil Breen year because kind of got obsessed with Neil Breen. He is going to shoot Twisted. Begins shooting at the end of August. No, he has not reached out to us. We're still waiting, Neil. We're still waiting. Uh, But no, year two, I think we kept getting better. We had more guests. Explored a lot of territory that we've been meaning to cover. We also had our oldest movie in year two. Yes, that's that's true. And we had our most recent movies as well. 
<laughs> yeah. So we'll see if we can go even older and even newer. Maybe if you people are lucky. As I mentioned, we had guests from this past year. We've had, you know, guests have been a part of Cult Cinema Cavalcade since Ravenous. They're newer. Some of our old friends here stopped by. To yeah, say hi. To and say hi and, just, you know. Just wish us little, well, you know. Let's left us some messages. Let's just check. Let's check one. Let's see. Hey, Brandon and Colin, Christy Lee from Christy Lee Uninterrupted, fellow podcaster. Congratulations on your two-year anniversary of the Cult Cinema Cavalcade. I was honored to be on your program. I know I'll never look at the movie Xanadu the same way ever again. Not that I was ever planning on watching Xanadu ever again. I hope you have many, many more years, and I hope we get to share a movie together again. Thanks. That was nice. Thanks, Christy. That was that was fun. It was good uh, yeah. times. We're sorry that we put you through Xanadu, but I think you're a stronger person for it. So I guess you should really be thanking us. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That was fun. Let's let's, let's listen to another one. I think this is from uh, our old pal Jim Dietz. Okay. And now, another quiet night at HHWLOD Studios. Oh, man. There's so much going on. We have Spirit of 77. We're getting ready for all the new shows coming up with the DCTV podcast, and it's all connected. Man, I'm so swamped. And, and now, well, this guy's over at Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Uh, Colin and Brandon, they want me to do something for their second anniversary. I mean, two years. I mean, we... we geez, okay. <clears throat> well, happy second anniversary to the guys over at Cult Cinema Cavalcade, uh, Colin and Brandon. Uh, congratulations on two years. And um, Cult Cinema Cavalcade, it kind of says it right on the title, doesn't it? Just you know, It is a podcast on the internet. Um, don't really know what more I can say, but congratulations on two years. And uh, you know, congratulations on those awards you won, too. Uh, keep going strong, guys. Um, I don't know. They, they watch Neil Breen movies? They had a Joe Don Baker month? Okay. So he's he's on something, right? I mean, that's the only explanation that I can think of. I... Oh. Let's, let's try one more. Congrats to the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast on two years. Two years of a podcast devoted to films that had about as many viewers at the time in theaters as this podcast does listeners. Brandon, you're doing some kind of a job. That's wonderful you've had me on for some episodes i've had fun colin you're also there great job guys keep up the work that i guess you're doing oh so let, let's take a break from these right colin i think i uh, could i could use a break from them yes let's, uh, you know what you know what's good refreshing uh a, a break uh zardoz right zardoz is many things refreshing is not one of them Zardoz, I'd say in our lives, is a bit infamous, right, Colin? Yeah, I came across it the first time I was at a, a family video with my roommate at the time, and we were looking for something ridiculous, but we just couldn't find just the right mixture of absurdity. I came across the box cover, and I saw that huge stone head and Sean Connery's face. Like, what the hell is this? I looked at it. It was a gray box with like a red trim around it, if I remember right. Yeah. It was not glamorous. It very much looked just like a VHS box. My uh, roommate came over and I showed it to him. I said, Sean Connery's in this. Like, I don't know. And he, he kind of glanced at the back of it. And I said, dude, in the year 2293, Zardoz rules. <laughs> and then he immediately took it out of my hand. Like, all right. And we just walked right up to the front, paid, and watched it immediately. <laughs> 
This movie was infamous because it bombed hard in 1974. It was this next big thing for sci-fi. John Borman, who was coming off of Deliverance, Deliverance, which was a big deal. He didn't get like all this money thrown at him, but he got money to do a film pretty much on his own because he shot it in his pretty much where Zardoz takes place is like his backyard. It's in Ireland. It's his backyard, pretty much. Like, there's shots in the movie. If you listen to the commentary, he's like, oh, yeah, this is right off my back porch. I just went out and shot this to add one day. I'm like, what the f? Where do you live? It's beautiful. (laughs) The rolling hills of Ireland just in his backyard. Yeah. It's ridiculous. so he was pretty much left alone. He he didn't have he says he didn't have enough money to do the film he really wanted, but he he's not blaming it because it, he came up with some really good ingenuitive stuff, which is what I, you know, I love with low budget things, like especially with those, you know, 80s horror movies where this is it. This is all you get. Think of something. And I, I love that. That's where you make or break people on films, coming up with effects and stuff when you don't have the money. That's where you see the good for the bad and people. And that's what he went through with this. He didn't complain, but he was also didn't have any studio person over his head going like, hey. I think the movie was made for... Uh, like a million it, bucks. Yeah, just, just a little over a million. At the time this was made, a million dollars was a lot. And it still is, but it was a lot for a movie. It was still not that difficult to clear that much money. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't terribly difficult. And it didn't even come close as far as I know. Well, a a fifth of the budget was Sean Connery's salary. He wasn't the first choice. It was Burt Reynolds, which Which when I say that, you immediately go, oh, yeah. I Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, they worked on Deliverance. And then you look at Connery and be like, why did he make him look like Burt Reynolds? When you look at Sean Connery, you think in this movie, yeah, that looks like Burt Reynolds if he lived in a wasteland. He's got like a big red diaper, jack boots, huge bushy mustache with sideburns and a long ponytail. It's like, all right, yeah, if Burt Reynolds just didn't get a haircut for six months, I could see this happening to Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds was sick. He had to drop out. Uh, Connery after Diamonds Are Forever was struggling to find work and offered the lowest paycheck he'd taken since Dr. Doe, which was $200,000, which is close to $2 million in today's standards, I guess. To help keep things in check, he offered to stay at John Boardman's house and pay rent and offered to get rid of his driver and drive his own car and only pay half or split the budget on the driver with him. But Connery, yeah. Connery was desperate yeah, at this point. I, I, how much money are you saving for a driver for a couple of months? Connery came on. He was actually the third option because he reached out to Richard Harris, who didn't come to the meeting. And rightly so. I, I, I don't know how anyone could read this script and think, yes, I want to be in this movie. But you would almost have to sit with Borman. To, to, you know, if you got the script, you'd be like, um, but Borman's you- like, no, no. Just go to the meeting. Just go to the meeting. The pitch for this had to be John Borman in a fishbowl full of cocaine. That's the only way I could see someone being excited about making this movie. Well, you're working with the director of Deliverance, so you kind of just kind of, you're like, ah, well, I don't get it, but I'm working with John Borman. Which, unfortunately for John Borman, his next film after this was The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. And he continued to get work somehow after the... the Two of the worst movies ever made. Somehow, he kept getting more work. <laughs> he did. He did bounce back with Emerald Forest and Hope and Glory. So he also uh, he just, Excalibur, which which is oh yeah, Excalibur. I love Excalibur. That was that's a good movie. With this film, he wanted to. He was working on trying to get the rights to make Lord of the Rings. 
And he decided, like, well, I can't get that, so I'll build my own fantasy world. And boy, howdy, does yeah. he ever try. There's Which... different factions of people in this that kind of make sense after several viewings. Well, you can see, like, stuff that he wanted to use in Lord of the Rings, like effects and stuff, and, like, scenery and ideas that he's, like, you'd already been, like, testing and, and getting things. But he said he's glad he didn't get to do Lord of the Rings because he was only trying to make one movie. Mm-hmm. He's going to cram them all into one movie rather than three, which is what, what which is what someone would have done back then. They wouldn't have. They would have said, "Ah, just make Lord of the Rings. No one's going to go see three of them." Gotta push it all in the one movie. Like there's enough crap pushed into this movie. I couldn't imagine all three of those books in one movie. They couldn't even do that in the animated ones. Yeah. God, Borman, you. Be- Ah, you gave us this instead. You should be tried in a court. Zardoz opens with uh, the floating head of Arthur Frayne. He's a guy painted on Van Dyke on his face. And it's never explained, by the way, why he has facial hair painted on his face. I can't even begin to think of that line of thinking where they'd say, okay, th- th- that looks cool, right? Like, he's the only person that has, like, facial hair painted on. And it's just, he's eccentric, I guess. No explanation. It's just one of the many layers of Zardas that will boil your blood. It doesn't seem like it will at first, but it gets to you, and it won't leave your brain. He's ambiguously, like, setting up this world. I am Arthur Frayne, and I am Zardas. I have lived 300 years, and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony and most satirical. In this tale, I am a fake god by occupation and a magician by inclination. I am the puppet master. The studio made Borman put this in. They went down the dune line they have to take as many opportunities as possible to explain to the audience what the hell is happening instead of it just just playing out and it does the opposite it makes it more confusing and it spoils what could have been a a more interesting turn in the plot Mm -hmm. we also have to mention about this that this movie opens as a black screen and then it's his head bouncing around the screen like a screensaver on an old DVD player. We see some rich Irish countryside and um, we're told it's 2293 and we see these guys called exterminators who are ravaging around. One of the things everyone uh, for years has always pointed about this movie is what Sean Connery's wearing. The outfit, it's worn by all these guys called Exterminators. Red diaper, diaper, jack boots, bandolier, enormous ponytail. But you know what? Dare I say, as ridiculous as it is, because of that, it's become iconic. Like, you know what the fuck that is when you see it. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, fucking Zardoz. It's weird that Sean Connery looks like that. But then all the other Exterminators dress the exact same way. I don't know. It's super weird. Like, how does, how does fashion trend that way like all right diapers boots ponytail well, I mean, we're, we're cool let's go i don't think these are fashionable guys these are like the, the <laughs> fucking cavemen guys but then they wear these helmets too which i don't get it looks cool but i don't think it works zardoz's big stone head so yeah. they're not they're not ergonomically practical that's for certain then we see the big stone head floating in the sky and stuff which i, I think it looks cool i think that like the effect holds up I can't imagine 
not sitting in the theater, seeing that and thinking, oh, no. Because we just saw a floating head. Well, we saw and a then stupid not a guy. Minute yeah. later, here comes another floating head. But this looks much better. The I, I think the effects like still like hold up really well, and I think they get the it feels pretty awesome in scale. The head, but the problem is, it's cool. That it's a giant floating head with jagged, goofy teeth. It's a science. It's a science fiction movie. <laughs> you can, oh, I mean, there's man. a lot to point at Zardoz for that, but a stone head floating in the sky that's... But I, like, like I said, we're like three minutes into the movie yeah. and there are two floating heads. I like the giant stone floating head. There's a lot to say about Zardoz, but I I think it looks cool. I think they, it feels massive, even though they're shooting a smaller thing. I think they get that pretty right. It then comes down... The ex- exterminators come to worship it, like, oh, Zardoz, Zardoz. And, you know, it's it's reminding them they're supposed to kill the Brutals, which are uh, the other people in this area that aren't wearing those outfits. That's what the, that, the Brutals that are. Se- that seems to be the only difference, that the exterminators dress like they're going to Studio 54, and the Brutals are just people that are wearing old sports jackets. The Brutals who multiply... Zardoz has given them the gift of the gun, and of course, right here, it's like, okay, this is fine then. The gun is good. The gun is good! The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Okay, I just started this movie, and uh, that's a bit profound. <laughs> no shit. This is the the first really major dialogue of the movie. I mean, there's the opening with Arthur, but that's... Who can make heads or tails of that until after you watch the movie? Then you understand kind of what the hell he's talking about. I mean, this is a start of the series of things in this movie where... Is you're like, okay, we got through that. And then as soon as you might get a little comfortable, the dialogue in this movie will just make you like, ooh. Again, just people in the theater hearing the gun is good, the penis is evil. You know there were several people that just looked over whoever they were with and just said, um, did I hear that right? Because I know that's what oh, we no. did. And then you're confirmed with the penis shoots seeds. Like, oh. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it's like, okay, the gun is good, the penis is evil. Well, all right, they got my attention. It's a little weird, but then you go further with the penis shoot seeds it's like oh we're here it's like rain doesn't register that sentence at first and then it follows it up with it shoot seeds like okay no he said it he said the penis is evil <laughs> what the fuck is your movie your giant floating head what's it do? oh it shoots seeds oh okay okay that, Just... that may or may not have a cult attached to it they're either cultist or cosplayers who's to say and then guns just fly out of the mouth of Zardoz. It's like he took a bunch of Epicac and then just guns. It's like blood rushing down the halls of The Shining, but guns. <laughs> and it's also, I don't know, three stories above the ground where bullets and guns it, are just flying through the air. They actually built a 35-foot tall uh, thing of that stone yeah, they had miniature ones, they had like a medium one, and then they built a 35-foot tall one. Well, that's pretty dangerous. That's like a story. That's from a story up there f- throwing guns and bullets. And it's funny, there's a scene later on where we see a far-off establishing shot, and you can see it like, I guess, what would you say, parked? <laughs> it's parked ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah! 
where you like see it down in the ground and you're like oh it looks superimposed but that was actually the 35 foot tall one down there no way yeah it, it, like, it does look superimposed that's it, hilarious we think all that stuff because we're so used to computer animation stuff nowadays but all this trickery in this movie is legit stuff borman really wanted everything to be as real as possible but that was his only option back then too it's one thing to see the the head by itself in a field with people worshiping it it's another to see it was something that we're familiar with you know i'm mean, familiar with fields but to have it next to a house it's like someone after a hard day from work i gotta park the head and then i'm gonna go home and watch tv that's what it looks like it's it's the flintstones that's what it is they all celebrate uh, picking up guns and then we focus on one guy and it's sean connery whose character name is zed and he picks up a revolver and looks at the camera and shoots it, which for a guy who is wanting to distance himself from James Bond, and this is the the first thing we see of him in the movie, hey, well, he's, he's staring down the barrel of a gun, firing he's, at the screen. He's trying to relate to the audience. You know, it's him saying, you're going to want this by the end of the movie. You want the sweet release of death. We get more floating head through the skies as they remember to finish the credits of the movie. Zed arises inside the head from some dirt. Like It's, it's in a nice little I slow motion I, shot. I think it's a big pile of grain. Oh, but, grain. Yeah. yeah, it's grain. Yeah, it's grain. You're right. There are naked people in these vacuum-sealed bags in there, which is never really explained in the movie but it looks kind of weird and it works but we're never told what this is like as far as we know it's just someone that liked collection collecting action figures and just went too far for all we know he looks out the eye to see if he's flying in the air and then he looks down and sees arthur frayne wandering to the mouth and he hops down and shoots him which frayne says he's foolish and he could have shown him Without him, Zed is nothing. And then he jumps out of the mouth, which he gets to, like, fly a little bit. He Peter Pans out of Zardoz's mouth. That's the only way I can describe it. Which he... he just gracefully floats backwards. We find out he fell out and died. He looks like he's... Fl- <laughs> it, it, it has... there, there might be drones somehow built into his outfit that have him levitate for a brief amount of time. The head uh, lands, and Zed explores this little country house area and he wanders through a bakery and then uh, the plants are covered in these plastic bubbles we see and then he gets into a house where he finds a bunch of biological studies stuff there's like the evolutionary chart of like ape to man on the painted on the wall and he goes into like a bedroom with like doorway beads and he finds a picture of zardoz on the wall and he finds a jack-in-the-box which he's kind of weirded out by I love that there's there's a the, a shower curtain and then those doorway beads like come on in have a groovy time let's talk about Zardoz next to this Zardoz altar. It's it's Arthur Frayne's house, right? So yeah, yeah, it is. He's got a he's like yeah, man, man Zardoz altar. Like I am Zardoz, but I still make the altar to myself. That's like someone like uh, hey, my name's in the local paper, and they just every instance of it, they just no, you know. <laughs> Inside of a mirror box, there's this ring, and there's a message on it, and telling him supplies, which is just, it's pretty cool. It's like a, it like projects out, like you're looking it's at like a little It's like a holographic screen. ring. Yeah, like a holographic ring, and it projects. And it, 
like groceries. And it projects useful things. Yeah, like a grocery list for Zardos. And uh, the ring projects things that Zed asks for when he says them. And then Arthur Frayn appears identifying himself and saying Vortex 4, which all the areas are Vortex 1, 2, 3, 4, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure how that works. It doesn't matter. It's more of that Dune terminology that we're expected to understand. But they don't harp on it. They don't harp on it like Dune. They just say it in passing, and you're like, huh? And then you forget, and then you're like, huh? And then you forget, and then you realize it wasn't important at all. You just need Vortex, because the Vortex is where the people we're going to meet called the Eternals live. That's all that matters. The Vortex meet the Eternals, and the way they're separated from the Brutals and the Exterminators. And also on the other side of this vortex, there are Apathetics. And... We'll get to it. it, it it's terrible. There's too many terms in this movie. Star Wars is less complicated, and that involves space travel. But they're actually... You f- they're not, like, made-up, jijijubit words. They're, like, real words. I'll give it that. It's not like, oh, the Jinjabars and the Chingchongs over to, and the Pitos. These are like words like renegades. It sounds like my problem with this is the words sound like too primitive to where it's like you couldn't have come up with something a little more creative than brutals. That's my that's my problem yeah. with the words. They're not confusing. It's easier to remember this than like the all the do. We're we're gonna go to Dune a lot here because plenty of similarities. But I found these groups easier to follow name convention-wise, due to their extreme simplicity than Dunes. But what makes it so simple is another reason why they're kind of forgettable. I completely didn't understand the difference between the Exterminators and the Brutals for a long time, honestly. Yeah, those are the the, the three in the... Okay, you can separate what's going on with... You know the Brutals and ex, Exterminators are not with the Vortex people. You know that much. But between those two, it's like... What? But the three inside the vortex are pretty easy to discern from. It's just like, what's going on with them might be a little... The introduction of all these characters, factions of people, are so spaced out that you don't seem to care by the time they're actually introduced. Through the window, Zed notices the commerce is starting to happen out in the yard, and he sneaks out to a river and sees a fancy mansion as well, and it's got, like, bubble things on it, too, which Borman said he wanted stuff to look older but with a little hint of futuristic stuff but not going to extreme so the bubble things were just his kind of idea just to make it recognizable but somewhat futuristic looking he sees some people just hanging out in a tree and then he sees a naked woman who will know his name may on a horse but when he approaches her she disappears he winds up at a river and she appears and he sees her and she's got like transparent water over her He's not looking in the water yeah, like, and seeing a reflection. He's he's looking just as as you would at a regular person, but for whatever reason, just waves of water are the screen with her behind it. I I cannot begin to understand what the hell that's supposed to mean. There's plenty of times in this movie where I'm like, all right, well that's symbolic, or there's a deeper meaning. This I can't even try to imagine what the hell they were thinking. Yeah, it never goes uh, back. It uh, never tr- does anything like this again. No, exactly. The only thing I can think that could possibly explain this is John Borman in the editing booth saying, pass that bowl. Because that is the only excuse I can think of for the entire movie 
massive amounts of cocaine and, and wheat. I can't explain it, but the only thing my mind goes to is like, okay, well, these people are like telepathic and this is just messing with his mind. I like that's the only thing I can what simplify is that it to. to do? Oh my god, there looks like there's water around her. What? Like apparently the immortals have been so separated from everyone else that they've lost any kind of imagination. Arthur seems to be the only immortal with imagination in the entire damn movie. Well, they are bored. Zed tries to shoot her, but she stops him with his mind and then tells her Zardos says if you obey him, you will go to a vortex when you die, and there you will live forever. Happily? Yes. So you think you're dead? Am I? You're an exterminator. I kill for Zardos. You came here in the stone head. I don't know. She wants to see how he came there and enters his mind to see the killings he's done. He's especially tied to a, a memory where he nets a woman and rapes her. He says, Took a woman in his name. Zardos. He's inside the, is that the tabernacle? Or is this some other room? I don't know. I didn't realize the tabernacle was a thing until I watched this movie, I don't know, eight times. They talk Honestly. about it all the time. The tabernacle doesn't feel like it, it actually matters until the last half hour of the movie. Like, the tabernacle just feels like something that's just, like, thrown off, just, like, you know, haphazardly mentioned early in the movie, and then is never mentioned until the third act. That is a complete mess. Yeah, this room is lined in glass with, like, naked people and dripping water, and, and then there's a screen that shows memories for people. And we have Consuela who's played by Charlotte Rampling, she enters to observe this, and Zed shares more memories of Zardoz having the exterminators cultivate for the Eternals. And uh, during this, there's a scene where they're cultivating in a line, and one of the guys falls down, and, and Zed shoots him in the face. And that guy is John Barman. That was his cameo. Uh, uh, again, Zed relating to the audience, doing what we want to do. He's our avatar in this movie. By, by the way, the blanks he shot at John Borman, they were stuck in his face for days after that. They then ask about what happened to Arthur Frayne, which he won't share. And Arthur's memories that they have in their thing shows him falling from Zardoz, and it's reported that he died. But he's already being regrown inside this area. All those people that are pressing ham on the glass. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that is a way to repair and regrow people it's not explained in the movie at all we just know that so you can't die you will be reborn and it's not like you're a different you you are the same you we kind of figure out that when they say the reconstruction has begun that's yeah. about arthur and it's you know this just a little doll like in a plastic bag hanging on the other side where all the people are, are naked and just lying against the glass it makes sense to have the like the fetus outside you know looks like it's in a womb and that's fine however all these people are not in wombs they're literally just naked people laying against glass with water running down them so we have no like all right i understand the baby but what about all the naked people just hanging out and you know what it's funny i just thought that was just this trippy psychedelic kind of scenery for it but talk to you now i'm like oh yeah that's the babies when they get bigger 
See, look, you didn't even realize it. <laughs> I just thought it was just meant to look kind of trippy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that the the mystery solved. See, More questions rise. It, Brandon, I've seen it multiple times. Brandon, for this episode, he told me he watched it four times. He still didn't realize that happened. Consuela asked maybe they should just kill it, referring to Zed. May says it will be a community vote. And then ask Zed how he got into the stone to get there. And we cut to a bigger room now with more people watching his memories on a screen. And then when the rape memories show up again, Zed mentions his father and mother were chosen ones and they were allowed to breed. The Brutals just fucking get down. They have sex. They multiply. These exterminators are not standing for it. Zardas wants them to kill them to keep them from multiplying. But... Some that of them the can thing, go get busy. That is the only thing that the exterminators do, from what I understand, is kill people. That that is their sole job. They are like cannibal wolves. Or mm-hmm. it, it, I don't understand it. But What's then, your game, Zardoz? But then Zardoz changes things, and he doesn't. They don't kill them. They enslave them, so they cultivate to get grain and stuff over to the immortal people. The, the thing is, why? If the exterminators aren't supposed to be procreating or whatever, why aren't they all eunuchs? Like, why isn't that Zardoz? If they listen to Zardoz and they do anything for Zardoz, why isn't that a thing? And why are the Brutals not allowed to breed if they're the ones that are supposed to be tending to crops? We get why the Immortals don't breed because why? They're not going to die. Why keep populating the board? Like, sex is mm-hmm. sex is not a thing in uh, the Vortex. They've just moved beyond it, basically. It, yeah. It's Squaresville. For people that wear so little clothing, there's a surprising lack of sex happening. I, I'm just going to ask the question here, uh, Brandon. What's with the floppy cod pieces? What is that? Like, It, it looks like someone said, all right, what I want... For- for the design of the people, I want shorts with a cod piece, but I want the cod piece made out of felt. <laughs> Again, just massive amounts of drugs. Well, the women all wear tops that if they lift their left arm the wrong way, like a boob's going to fall out. Exactly. Like I said, a surprising amount of skin for absolutely no sex drive. Because some of these outfits, I can understand they look comfortable. I believe, I believe it's in this scene... Where there's a guy, he's standing around, it looks like overalls, his nipples just fully out. Completely impractical. Who would do that? Does, does, he, have, does he have sensitive nipples so he has to expose them at all times? Because the straps on his overalls are right next to his nipples. He might as well have like big arrows pointing to his areolas. During this scene, we meet Friend, a guy who's fascinated with Zed, and someone with at least like light-hearted... As opposed to the, he, the the kind of the friendly but cold people that the Eternals are. He's the Eric Idol of this movie. May argues they should study Zed, his genetic and psychic elements. Consuela mentions that May is kind of off her rocker because she recently asked for new births and wants Zed killed as he is an animal from the outside. Friend said, you know, keeping Zed around would uh, change the boredom around here a lot. And uh, a lot of the others seem to agree. They vote, and Zed is allowed to be kept alive for three weeks. And there's also this weird part where Friend is talking to Zed, and Zed tries to lick his finger. Don't know why. It, I, it I, just... I, I feel that, you know, I think he's trying to, to show the, the savage animal 
weird outsider that Zed is, but I, he's been around people this whole time. He hasn't like it's. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I, he, I, he really doesn't seem like that much of a savage. I and, mean, and we'll find he, out he's not. He's not. He's playing a game right now with these people that we just we don't know yet. But uh, maybe it's part of his ruse. I don't know. We we didn't get this gorgeous shot of that lake and the hills and whatever. This is the one I'm telling you. Borman just like went on his back porch, and we get the first hint of the Beethoven music as uh, we get this rising shot from the mountains, uh, which will come into play later. Zed is. Under the care of friend now, who picks him up from his cage because he's being kept in a cage with the rest of the animals, and it's in the morning, and he whips him as soon as they get into an alley, asking him the whereabouts of Arthur Frayne. All right, let's stop all the nonsense, shall we? Where's Arthur Frayne? <coughs> Ever hear the expression "if looks could kill"? Well, here they can. There's no need to pretend innocence with me. I'm in Arthur Frayne's confidence. I know more than you think. You're saying nothing. All right, we wait and see. Don't be sullen. I'm going to look after you. Whenever you're ready to, just ask me questions. He takes him to his work, which is this sort of antique art gallery with like statues and paintings and man, I fucking love this set. I think it just looks awesome scenery. This kind of reminds me of like other, you know, sci-fi movies of the time when they would come after it, like Logan's Run or some of the things from like Planet of the Apes where you see all like the ancient stuff from our kind of history or whatever. Mm-hmm. Stored up sculptures like and Van yeah. Gogh paintings just everywhere. Yeah, I like that sculpture room quite a bit. During this time, we, we we see that Zed doesn't know what a clock is, ha 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 ha, which leads us to someone laughing about it when they go into this dinner room friends taking zed to him with this and all these people like they sit around this big table and they eat green bread which john borman says people send him green bread a lot <laughs> I, want, I want to send him a loaf of green bread and i just want to write why on it <sighs> why is the bread green why is it so damn prominent in this movie he wanted to make a food that was simple but he he wanted it to look familiar but different so we went with bread and colored it green you know it's bread but you also know it's of a different time and place because it's green but that's that's why he did it it looks like a pretzel schnitzer made out of soylent green that is what these pieces of bread look like did you get mad about blue milk in star wars no but it was only (laughs) in a scene i guess they have no resource i guess the brutals grow wheat and then these people make it into bread (laughs) <laughs> do they even need to eat? They're immortal. Yeah, they say that they can't die. What if they stop eating? Then they die, that? and what then if... they go to that naked, that, that drippy room, and then they'd be reborn, like, I uh, guess. Maybe. I guess that's true. May takes Zed to, I think this is the tabernacle during this time, which is this mirror thing outside, and then she's like, just go in, and Sean Connery is the most unconvincing walk into it because he walks up he's like oh oh i'm falling i'm falling like it is so like i'm like oh my god yeah it's this mirrored pyramid it is but you're right the acting is just like this is our last shot for the day and sean connery wants to go home like this is hurry it up let's go and then he floats in and she works on him with his memories and we then get the continuation of the trial of george satan a guy who's 
accused of giving off a negative aura. And through a projection of his head, he pleads his case. And then we see the bakery, and they're making the bread. It looks pretty pretty primitive, wouldn't you say? They're not using a whole lot of tools. But then there is probably the most futuristic-looking thing in the entire movie, and it's a bread oven. Borman wanted that was part of his, you know, wanting matching like something futuristic looking with something very old and he goes i don't know how this machine works i just wanted you to be able to see the bread goes in the bread comes out but i wanted to see people to be old school kneading up the dough on like old looking tables of flour but then they put it in this futuristic looking machine and then it makes the bread so, is that what makes it green brandon no the dough was green dude you see oh you're yeah, right the dough was green they were they were I, eating green dough I'm, I'm sure there was it was just a bunch of weed it was probably rolled into the bread then why were they so bored? <laughs> they, they've had too much. <laughs> That's why. Friend picks up a bunch of bread and speaks this weird gibberish to the bakers, and they start, like, clapping about it, and it, nothing like this ever happens again. And then, then that's it. It's what? Here and Sean Connery hears it, and he walks up. You figured he'd say, "The hell is that?" But no, we're just led to wonder. One of another thing that's just in the movie, and then is just immediately forgotten. He then has uh, Zed rickshaw him back, and friend explains on the way back the way they punish the people there is by aging them. They make you old, but don't let you die. And then we then meet. The Renegades, which is the group of people who have been aged to geriatric levels, and they're left in a building, fed and shunned from everyone else. And it looks like yeah. they're—it looks like they're having like some sort of like reception every day at this building. It's, it's yeah. got like streamers and. It's always New Year's Eve. Is kind of what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, and they're all in like suits. They're all old and yeah, and like really tattered formal wear. Yeah. yeah. We then meet the apathetics, which are people who are just left in a catatonic state. Apparently, this is a disease that's sweeping over the immortals, going all over the vortex, which is unstoppable, which could happen to anybody, apparently. While there, the trial of Satan comes up, because Friend needs to vote on it. Satan confesses to the charges, saying, I think what I think. That's more like it. I'm with you, George. I hate you all. I hate you all. I hate you all. Especially me. Zed then, during this, goes to a catatonic woman and grabs her boob, which she just doesn't do anything. She doesn't move. And friend says, hey, do what you want with her. But when he takes, when Zed takes her to the hay and starts trying to have his way with her, she's unresponsive to his assault. And he just gets mad and tosses her back in the hay and he chucks her into the oh yeah it reminded me of the part in god what was it was it no holds barred there's a scene on the beach where i don't know hulk hogan is just going by just walk along the beach and there's some guy in the background that picks up a dog and just fully throws it in the water it's like that kind of major chuck but it's a an entire human being it was like he was angry at her he only gets off if he's met with resistance. His memory is that scene that where he raped the woman on the beach. Like that's our hero, ladies that's, and gentlemen. That's what he's that's what he's getting off on. 
Uh, Zardoz, we're told, was having the Brutals make the crops so they can feed these apathetic people and the renegade. Apathetic or renegade, make your choice. The verdict of George Satan is in, and he'll be aged five years. And we never hear from him again, and we don't care. It, it means nothing. It just happens. Well, I mean, it's just... And then it doesn't. It's it's just a precursor, a tool to teach us about the, the punishment, and then we'll later see what happens to friends. So it's just kind of establishing more of the, the, you, you the know, laws you know, and it, rules. I mean, it, it makes it, sense. I get why it's there. You know how uh, you say that it's better to show than to tell? The opposite is true here for me, because they talk about that stuff with the guy that's on trial, and then also friend explains the process anyway that people are just punished through aging. I immediately got the concept. I didn't need something else to slow the movie down even more. It's like, and this isn't uh, this isn't a long movie, by the way. It's like an hour forty five, but it feels every bit of three hours. A lot of material crammed into this movie. I watched Gone with the Wind a couple of weeks ago for the first time. As far as I could tell, this movie was the same length. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, Consuela is having a study on erections and tests Zed to see if <laughs> erotic imagery such as soapy tits and naked mud wrestling can get him a boner, but it fails. But he gets one just thinking about Consuela, to which everyone's laughing about. Which makes the penis go from this to this. Later outside, monitoring him in his cage, fascinating that he sleeps. And he says he likes sleeps because I like my dreams. He gets more sessions with May where she tells him he's a mutation, like second or third generation. Which they keep calling him a creation, a mutation. But I've never seen where these people are created. Are they saying they were, like, putting something in the water with him? I don't know. If it's... Some of them have to be allowed to breed unless they just make... And then he's just the product of his grandfather was the first of the line. I don't know. I don't know. No one's allowed to breed, but they regrow some people, but I guess they don't regrow. Well, Zardas chooses exterminators that can breed, and Zed's family is one of those that can breed. I know that. But I don't the, the calling him a mutant and a mutation that that was something I I just I, I don't see what's a mutant about him when all the other exterminators seem to be the exact same way unless they're all mutants <laughs> maybe they're born with a mustache and that yes. way they know oh they're a mutant and they're going to be an exterminator she, if there were if there was just any explanation given I would have accepted that it's preposterous but at least it's something that they provide for the audience. She once again asks how he got there and his purpose and says he is vastly superior mentally and physically to everyone there. She goes, you must be destroyed because you could destroy us. And he goes, as you destroyed life. And he asks if she can unknow what she knows about him. And she says, she'll keep this from everyone else and watch over him if he is subservient. Then we're later at a dinner table and Zed is serving them and Consuela asks friend to put him outside Friend hassles Cansuelo about it, and she says it is his day to make food alone, and he must do so. Friend then goes off about being bored. Like the audience! May butts in and says, Zed, Zed shouldn't be a servant during this time. Consuela says time has come to destroy Zed. She makes them vote on Zed immediately. 
May then gets word that it's seven days to complete her study, and then Zeb will be terminated. They then begin a second-level meditation, which is them standing up with their arms outstretched and wiggling them. Apparently, friend does not want to go to second level, and then they start wiggling their arms at him, and he refuses to be one mind with them and claims he knows what May wants with Zed. He goes off. The vortex is an obscenity. I know I hate all women, but fertility, superstition, He's claimed beyond redemption, and they condemn him to be a renegade. And shouting at him, and then they stop, and he passes out on the table. Apparently, you make people move to level two, whatever the hell that means. And you also age them by wiggling your fingers at someone like you are warming up at a community theater backstage. I think what they're doing, they're sharing their consciousness, and he's got stuff he doesn't want them to know. Because we find out him and Arthur Frayne orchestrated this whole shit with Zed, and it's going to come out if he links with him. So I think he refuses, and then he just, this is it for him. And this is like, I guess, his sacrifice to keep this thing alive. But this, it just happens so, just feels like it's out of nowhere, it's, doesn't it, it? it? Well, it is, and it's, it's poorly executed, because... A bunch of people standing at a table, wiggling their arms. It's it's silly as shit. There's a better way to convey this. There's stuff we find out later in the movie, in the third act, that we really should have known earlier on that would help scenes like this. Because it's, I don't get this right now. I get this because I've watched the movie through the end and then gone back within a relatively short amount of time and understood that, oh, that's what they're doing. Going through the first time, no, doesn't make sense. Looks goofy as shit. I don't understand what's going there. But when they tell you later in the movie, you don't go, oh, yeah, that's why they did that back then. That's why he... No, you don't even remember that because you just blown it off like, oh, okay. Because it feels like a lifetime ago. It's poorly executed. We need a little more information beforehand that is in the movie, but just hasn't happened yet it's not like anything would have been like oh big twist it's something that's present the whole movie that should have been announced much earlier in the movie that these people can share their minds and shit like that it's not set up like a mystery it just isn't mentioned it just wasn't just it was like oh you want to you want to like rewrite this ad nah that's kind of going on here but just yeah it's just people wiggling their arms and going hills coke (laughs) Whatever they could get their hands on. Zed, Zed runs about in the hills where he's stopped by an invisible wall. Sean Connery is not a good mime and signals his fellow exterminators out on the hill. And he heads to the Renegades Hall where he finds a friend there who has become a Batman villain known as Two-Face. Because just to show that, oh, look, it's friend. Oh, he's old. They only made half of his face old. He just had this massive stroke. Yeah. And it aged aged the left side of his body. Yeah, like, it's the only reason he's half-faced is just so you could do the shot where you're like, oh, it's friend. Oh, he's old. Like, is that... Like, well, it's like, well, we're going to turn him old, we're going to age him, but we're only going to age half of him. So he's only half-senile. So he has his good days and his bad days. And and that's nice. Friend tells the renegades that Zed has the gift of death. They swarm him, and Zed rushes to get out, but then Friend stops everything. And Zed then convinces his friend that he needs to get out of despair and fight for death. He says the tabernacle must be destroyed. Frank can't remember where it is, though. They ask the oldest man, 
And they go up to they go up to his bed where he's sleeping and they're like We want to die! Hmm? What what's the trick? <laughs> I laughed. That was hilarious. It's like, whoa! And he's like, oh, oh, well, to bring about death, you need to talk to May. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why didn't anyone ever think to ask him before? Yeah, so Zed goes to find May, and she's just standing in this room under a sheet. Other but people, there... other people are doing it too. It's not just her. It, it, it is never explained why everyone just has a tablecloth over their body and they're just hanging out. They're not talking to each other. Is it supposed to be a moment of rest? But but if they're mortal, why do they need to sleep? I don't know what's happening, John Borman, and you're hurting my brain. It says, uh, you must give the truth if you wish to receive it. And she tells him the truth will burn him. And she demands he tell her everything. So go back to the beginning. And he then... Goes through the exterminator's orders to kill the Brutals. And then one day he lost his innocence by seeing this face in a window in a building. And he chases him in the building, which is this old library, which I, I like the look of this library. I'm like, this is a cool set. It's like kind of burnt up and old and aged. And uh, the person, Frain, he's under a mask. He stops him from shooting him by showing him a book. And he teaches him how to read. But everything comes like super easy to Zed because he's this kind of like superhuman guy and he learned what the world had been like before the darkness fell and then he found a book in the library called The Wizard of Oz and he put his thumb over things which meant Zardoz only we don't find out right away that Zed put this together there's about two minutes of dicking around yeah he he admits killed Arthur and he talks about learning cultivation and Zardoz taking the harvest and he and the men wanted the truth and he plotted them to get in the Borat text because he read the Wizard of Oz and then realized that his god was a complete sham because of the man behind the curtain thing and he realized that's what fucking Zardoz was or he was at least certain and he gets all mad because he realizes there is no god just his god was created by a man, and it's just a it's just a guy. It's bullshit. And even uh, who created this god, guess what? He draws facial hair on his face. That's no man. Grow uh, it or don't. Upset about this, recalling this memory, and May is comforting him, and lift, lift, like her shirt kind of lifted up. They're it, it, not really, the like, doing it or anything. It's just they fell down, or they're laying, he's upset, and they're like, her her shirt came up. Like I said, you could lift up your left arm and be topless yeah. in, in these outfits. It really is remarkable that almost every time a woman, like, takes off her top in this movie, you think, just, just cover up. It is the unsexiest nudity short of them taking off their pants and having a big brown streak? No, in yeah, the, the nudity is, like, really sterile. Yeah, it, it, it is very 70s androgynous. And, and there are some times where the nudity is really not meant to be like like sexy, and it shouldn't be. This is not that kind of movie. But still, with, with this character of Zed that I, mean, I guess he's supposed to be sexual. You were asking why these uh, Eternals just aren't getting down and they're bored. Well, I think you answered your question. I guess I did. <laughs> Consuela catches them together and she threatens to charge her with 50 years for bestiality. By the way, this entire interaction between May and Zed, under a sheet the entire time. Yes. And Zed gets into like a tussle with Consuela and tries to like get with her, but then he's blinded. 
somehow. Well, Consuela and Zed have a tug of war with the sheet. I guess she uses mental powers on him, but he resists. And through that resistance comes him being blind. I don't know, folks. Take a guess. I don't know what the hell happened either. He's then taken to one of the plant bubbles where May is topless in there and rubbing a leaf on his eyes that gives him his sight back and tells him that she realized he is the liberator and says she'll help him if when the time comes, he sets her free. And she gives him a leaf to eat when the time is right and he needs it. How are we supposed to know when that is? Apparently he figures that out. We'll get there. We're almost there. (laughs) He had access to the script. That's how he figured it out. Zed says this place is built on lies and suffering. And she talks about how the place was built, and it was on being the rich and ignoring the needy and helpless. There's a cool line that I liked here that she says, We are custodians of the past for an unknown future. That's a cool line amidst a sea of... The Eternals then surround the bubble and they just like try to attack Zed, but he breaks out and escapes and then throws flour on them to run to the hills. So ridiculous. They're all pounding into this plastic. And then as Sean Connery is pushing his fist through the plastic, you hear someone say, oh, it's unbreakable. And then he just immediately breaks it. It looks a little bit thicker than the plastic that you'd get at a dry cleaner. Somehow that's unbreakable. He gets out the hills and signals the exterminators, and he gets chased by Consuela on horseback, which she's going fucking nuts. She's got those white boots going on. She's like, ah! He winds up hiding among the apathetic people as she's burning buildings to like try to snuff him out. She's doing more damage than... <laughs> Than he, than he did. Than he, he, he was doing no damage at all. Meanwhile, she's, just, like you said, destroying <laughs> buildings. One of the apathetic people take a drop of sweat off of him and then begin sharing it with each other, but it's slowly bringing them to life again. And, and then she kisses Zed, and they start sharing the kiss, passing it on to one another. And then like later, this leads to them just like fucking each other all over the place. Uh, apparently, Zed excretes ecstasy from his pores. They all start like rubbing against him. They're getting energy off of him or whatever. And then Consuelo's in there looking around. And then he pulls from like, I swear his crotch, that damn leaf, and eats it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> like, oh. Why are you, <sighs> whatever. <laughs> get, get... Like, this is about, about the point where my brain just starts to check out. <laughs> like, like up to this point, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and this is really where the movie drags. And it's like the last, I don't know, like 35 minutes of the movie, and I just, I try to generate enthusiasm or interest, and that pool is very shallow at this point. He runs around the woods, and then it's dark out, and he's among the renegades, and they help him escape by dressing him in a bridal gown after he promises them he'll bring them death. If for some reason, Dracula, dressed as a voodoo priest, is helping yes. Zed No, he's, he's got a Dracula mask on. Again, bizarre. Like, why is, why is someone dressed like Dracula in this movie? And they're wandering through flares and the apathetics having this orgy all over the place in friends art archive they run into may and she argues that the vortex needs renewed not destroyed and zed says this place is against life it must die and she begs zed to inseminate her and her followers and perhaps 
he can break the tabernacle. Outside, Consuela and the rest of the Eternals are trying to bust in. And then inside, they have this orgy thing where he's disseminating them and they're passing all the knowledge to him. But it's this trippy, cool, projection, psychedelic thing. And it's fascinating to watch. It's considered one of the, like... Like greatest moments in science fiction film history. There's one guy, one reviewer at the time, hated the movie, marked down the exact time when this part appears, and said, here you go, show up for this, when it ends, leave. <laughs> See, and I I hated this part. It's fast, it's, it looks awesome, oh, though. It's I, I so think it, boring. It's, it is, oh my it's gosh, just, it's a visual. Do you not like visuals? I like visuals, but I like visuals that enhance. This is pretty impressive. This is impressive or, stuff, though. Uh, the projection going is, on their bodies, moving around—like it's impressive. It's it, it's just projections onto people's bodies, and if if this was in a movie that didn't drag so damn much, maybe I would care. But you know, we're just this deep into the movie. It's like just something fucking happened. There's all this stuff in the movie but none of it seems to matter and it just keeps going on and on and this is another scene that contributes to that feeling oh man i disagree it's awesome i think it's a nice like oh okay this is at least it's cool to look at it's i think it's timed well there's a scene in a little bit that tries to be cool too but it goes on for, I'll, I'll i'll talk about a scene that goes on forever in a little bit yeah but i know I, I like the the look of this and stuff and i think it's a pretty cool from technical aspect but it's um, also confusing like within the time of the story this is going on and i don't have even a clue as the duration of time this takes as opposed to what's happening in other parts of the movie does that you know what i mean i didn't okay I can tell you what John Borman said. I can't tell you. What, he said that this, the thing that May and these others are able to do is their concept of time to be able to do this transference is different than what's going on outside. So that's why it's in slow motion while they're trying to bust open that door. But all this is going on in there because there's like a, like what happens during this happens in a different yeah. kind of time than outside. But that's what he says. I didn't know that until he yeah. said that. So. And, you know, like I said, like I said before, usually it's better to show than to tell. But I just needed a line or two of dialogue that just said what the fuck was happening. Well, they did say they were going to transfer knowledge in return for being inseminated. Right, and I got that. But it's it's just strange that there's just clearly a significant passage of time for Zed and the people inside the building. In a little bit. We're going to have information that would have been great to have much earlier in this fucking movie that isn't like a surprise or isn't like a thing. It's just knowledge that probably should have been told to us way earlier. Zed awakes after this with Friend and the Renegades. He tells them that these are the people that started the Vortex. And Fred says all these, all, all of them are people who are the offspring of these people and born into Vortex life. And we flash back to their creation of the Tabernacle and the end of death. Through this, he learns of a diamond or a crystal that controls the tabernacle. And all the Eternals have pieces inside their minds that joins them all together. And this should have been fucking told to us way earlier. Yeah, this is deep into the third act of the movie. It's just... I'm not saying this movie makes more sense, but there's plenty of stuff in this movie that makes more sense if you know this earlier. If you know the tabernacle is important... 
which I didn't. I thought it was just some throwaway thing. Now, like, oh, that's kind of what the movie's about. Well, it's not what the movie's about, but it's a it's a major piece of what it's supposed to be a plot. And it's not like any of this stuff that this helps out would was presented like a mystery throughout this. It was presented like, oh, you know this. It was like, oh, what's this going to be? It was just like, what am I? Did I, did I miss something? But but apparently it's a mystery where the tabernacle is. I didn't know that was a thing I was supposed to be interested in. The location. See, I, I of picked this. up on the word tabernacle, like or like I knew it was important. I figured it was that place where they kept getting his memories from. I'm not still not sure if it's the same place or not, but it's very diamond-like outside and then inside kind of like. I didn't so. even think that was. I didn't think that was important, like the location. To me, it was just a room. And I think it's well, the tabernacle. And I guess that's where, when people die, they come back to life in there. So if you destroy, hey, look, we're figuring it out. Uh, if you destroy that, uh, then I, they can't come back to life. Again, I don't know. Uh, b- between the two of us, I don't know if we've watched this movie 20 times, but it's it's approaching there if, if it's not there yet. And we still don't know. And we're still confused. We're still talking. When we come back, Zed is holding a crystal. And May and her followers, they gave him it. And said, when you can see into this crystal, then you'll be ready. Only then. And he's at the desk perplexed at how to do so. Knowledge is not enough. He hears something. Someone saying, I have come for you. Over here. And he leaves the the crystal at, his, at the desk. And he walks through this hall of dummies. And one turns out to be Arthur Frayne. Might get from the beginning of the movie. This yeah. character that we don't know if they're important or if they're just jerking us around. Which he just knows to peel off this bottom of this dummy's face to reveal the drawn on well that is part of the knowledge that they gave zed was knowledge of mask yes uh my brutal friends call me zardoz and he then checks the knowledge of zed by making him complete a line from t.s Eliot about lazarus would it have been worthwhile to have squeezed the universe into a ball to roll it towards some overwhelming question to say, I am Lazarus, come from the dead. Do you know the next line? It's T.S. Eliot. I am Lazarus, come from the dead. Come back to tell you all. I shall tell you all. Well done, well done. You've learned your lessons well. And he has a glass ball and asks Zed to tell him what he sees in it. And Zed says, nothing. And he goes, well, then I have nothing to tell you. The Eternals break in. And Zed then sees Consuela in the ball, and she's behind him with a knife, but he manages to stop her from stabbing him with his mind, I'm guessing. The hunt is always better than the kill. She then realizes that in hunting him, she has become him. She then offers to fill him with life and love, and Zed says, if I live, we will live together. Okay, how the fuck did this happen, Brandon? Seconds ago, she broke in trying to kill him, and then it's, I'm offering you love. What the fuck happened? The power of the Connery. I'm going to look into this in a way of playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying this is what it is, but sometimes in stories, maybe she's so disgusted because when he first came, she had these feelings, and through those feelings for him, she turned it into being enraged and thought killing him would get rid of those kind of feelings. Maybe there's that. I'm Like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate. It is just really abrupt uh, the way this happens but looking through character psyches and stuff from things i've seen and read before there's that possibility is it also possible that john borman is just a really shitty writer 
and he just needed this to happen, so he just wrote that line in. I think he's a shitty writer, considering some of his other work he's done. This scene is shittily written then? No, it's not. I mean, that's not good. It's it's really abrupt, and it's like, what, what, now? If him and May would have wound up together... That would have made more sense, because they spend more time together. They, I don't know if there's chemistry, but they seem to at least have some kind of interest in each other, and literally... Up until this moment, Consuela just just hates him and hasn't even shown an inkling that maybe she likes him or is into him in any way. You know, the scene where he gets a boner for her, they could have built off that a little more because they do have her like sure. curious about him at his cage. She's a little more more curious about but, him, but that then it's immediately followed by her wanting to savage the land to smoke him out and kill him. It's, yeah. That moment doesn't last. When he's in the cage, I think she tries to jerk him off because she puts her hand in the cage and is going in that general area and he hmm. squats her away. I thought she was just so poking th- at him. Wake up. I have questions. I think she was poking at him too, just in the. She was poking the poker, I think, he's, or trying to. You thought she was tugging at him. It's the morning. You're tired still. You're not, you're not fully aware of what's going on. If, someone, if my eyes were closed and someone was tugging at me down there, I'd be concerned as well. And I'm not a savage. <laughs> she gives him her ring and leaves telling the others that he's not there. He then asks the ring where the tabernacle is. And uh, he communicates with the ring, proving that he is smarter than the tabernacle. And he deduces a receiver must be like a transmitter. And thus the tabernacle is the crystal. Right? 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 Sure. It says it is the diamond in his hand. And it chooses to be there to confront him because the tabernacle's got balls. The tabernacle asks, Your aim is to destroy me, isn't it? Yes. Would you kill God? <laughs> such vanity. Which is a, such a Connery line. I, I, mm. I giggled right there. He's like, such vanity. The tabernacle says, It is everyone and anyone of the Eternals. And would he kill all of them? And it says, Would you destroy us and all that we are? begs him to love them and cherish the truth. He says, no. Tabernacle says, you have penetrated me. He closes the diamond in his fist. <laughs> he, he closes the diamond in his fist and then opens his hand. It's gone. Zed then gets sucked into the tabernacle. You are within me. Come to my center. Come into the center of the crystal. You are within me. Come into the center of the crystal. And it's a lot of mirrors and projections and things that people he knows like may and friend and consuela like going ah ha ha laughing stuff like that and this cullen is what i thought took for fucking ever it it does it goes on for just such a long time i'm not sure if there's any dialogue that's said here or if there is it's just nonsense i get the point of building some insanity but it's almost like he keeps reusing, like, footage again. And it's... it's I know. This, this is the part in Borman, and he's on the commentary, says, yeah, this is... This, I let this go too long. I would have cut... I should have cut the hell out of this. I, I was just sitting, watching this, just screaming. It just won't 
stop. Uh, he ends up face to face with a reflection of himself in full exterminator gear, and he shoots in the mirror at himself, and he watches himself just fall down with the shot. And the, uh, he's killing his savage self. It's symbolic. The Eternals are now destroying all the statues and busts in the archive. Zed is passed out at a desk, and May and her group carry him out while friend leaves, and then Consuela comes over and kisses him, and he wakes up, which. I feel it was a bad take because it looks like Connery wakes up before she even makes contact. He kind of just like, all right, let's go. He's like, oh, she's like, let's end this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Zed uh, manages with his mind and hand to pave the way through the people to leave, controlling them with his hand. Zed has the power of reversing the film. <laughs> yes, he does. Zed takes the diamond to the old man. And he says, I remember now the way it was. We challenged the natural order. And he says, the vortex is an offense against nature. And it wouldn't be funny if he took it to the diamond. He's like, you need to take this to May. <laughs> uh, he says Zed was made to reset evolution. And we force the hand of evolution. Then he dies and everyone's shocked. The stone head from Z- Zardoz then crashes into the ground. It seems odd because... It was flying around. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, I'm just gonna this thing on autopilot until Arthur gets back. Like, no, we saw it parked and just <laughs> was somehow that old man connected to the Zardoz head. Outside, all the apathetics, renegades, and Eternals sit around the fountain. Zed gives May the diamond, says, "Take this. Let your sons and daughters look into it." As she and the others leave the vortex, Zed says there is no going back for me we hear people saying the renegades are dying like flies and arthur frayne then comes to take credit for this whole thing it was careful genetic breeding that produced this mutant the slave who could free his masters <laughs> and friend was my accomplice <laughs> don't you remember the man in the library Zed? it was i who led you to the wizard of oz book <laughs> it was i who gave you access to the stone it was i I bred you. I led you. And I have looked into the face of the force that put the idea in your mind. You're bred and led yourself. A woman gives a speech in the center of the fountain and asks Zed to kill her, and he can't do it. But then a bullet hits her, and the exterminator's just like, fucking just shoot the damn place up with all these people. They're slaughtering these willing Eternals like, yes, shoot me, shoot me. And Zed and Consuela escape. They go to the head of Zardoz, the crashed head. They, they have sex, which uh, winds up in her having a child. That child Immediately. Grows, that child grows up. They grow old. And they eventually become skeletons. And on the wall are a set of hands and Zed's revolver. And I think they're, it's a passage of time. I don't think it's like... No, no, no. No, there's a passage of time. This passage of time makes sense. But it, uh, but it is shocking where it goes from Zed and Consuela. It's just like, okay, it looks like they're going to have sex. Then it cuts back to a bunch of like, old people getting killed. Yeah, and then she's given birth, and you're like, whoa! Yeah, whoa. It, it, it goes from <laughs> people walking around going like, Zed, Zed, to her going, Zed, and then cut to her giving birth. Like, what the hell happened? Wow! Charlotte Rampling was pumped about having a sex scene with Sean Connery, and then when it wasn't much, she was very disappointed. It wasn't much at all. It was... May had something that was closer to a sex scene than what Quinsuela had. I mean, those those apathetics had more during that one scene where they were licking sweat. (laughs) 
That sweet, delicious Connery sweat. And that is the enigma of Zardoz. There were several scenes in this movie where Sean Connery was pissed to have made this movie. The scene where he is dragging friend with all the bread. He had the run yep, up hill. Yep. He was he not was happy pissed about that. that. He hated wearing the wedding dress. And they had to film the end of this movie three different times. The first time there was some problems with when they developed it, there was some like lighting or some some sort of issues on the film stock that they couldn't they couldn't get rid of, mm-hmm. and so they had to film it again. And the pro- the reason was Connery is really uncomfortable wearing prosthetic stuff and heavy makeup. Like he's got like just some sort of phobia of it. And this, and this whole scene is just putting makeup on him over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, in the second one there was a assistant a DP who after they got done with it, accidentally immediately exposed the footage. <laughs> I wonder if he was getting back at Connery. Well, Oopsie. And, well, Borman had to bear hug Connery, who went to go attack the guy. Furious. Like, I don't think John Borman saw him for maybe decades after that day. He uh, ran off. He, he fled the country because he was afraid of Sean Connery. <laughs> How scary is Sean Connery? Where he has to make someone leave a country just for their own safety. Yeah, the guy apparently is a DP on like a lot of like known commercials and stuff nowadays. But he like ran into John Borman and he's like, "Whatever happened?" He goes, "I, I freaking left the country, dude. I was embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever gonna work again." Can we talk about May and how aggressive her freckles are? Yeah, she is haunting. She looks like she was bred in an insane asylum. I guess it works. The one, the one person who makes this this look work, Sissy Spacek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about uh, it. She, she has a similar vibe to that because but... she's got that like pale skin with it, faded her, freckles, kind of. And her eyes, it looks like laser beams are about to shoot out of her eyes at any given moment, which is very possible in this movie because people just seem to have powers occasionally, inexplicably. Put, she'd have been great in The Visitor. She'd have fit in that movie perfectly. <laughs> But um, why are there so many damn classes of people in this movie? Like, isn't it enough that we have the the exterminators and the the brutals and then the immortals? Isn't that and you can even throw in the, uh, the the senile old people? You can even throw them in. But then you also have the apathetics. Like, that's fucking enough. Those people add, don't add anything to the movie. I mean. It's just more people to throw in there during the, the the half orgy scenes that we're seeing. You know, we actually see them like full on just going at it as they're just strolling around. So it's not even like like hinted at. It's like it's clearly like they're humping on camera and talking to Zed, which is super strange. Yeah, you could you could yeah you could probably chop the apathetics out. It's, it feels like the apathetics feel like they've duplicated the renegades. Like they're not the yes. same, mm-hmm. but they're, they're serving the same purpose in the, the the narrative. We only need like, oh, you're feeding this one group. You could even like mix them. You could have the renegades that when you get so old, you're an ap- you're apathetic. Not all of them are apathetic, but it, yeah, it's the final stage of progression. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you're stuck that way because you're so old, and you're like that, and then you're not gonna die. So it just sucks. But yeah, you could you should they should have blended the apathetic and you know. The Brutals and the Exterminators could have been mishmashed a bit more to the point where the Brutals were just these 
sent by God officers of the Brutals to, to say, prevent the, the, procreation. Like that's the middle management of of the Brutals. Yeah, that's. I mean, essentially, it's what they are, but they could have made it a little bit more clear on that. No, that okay. no, that that the apathetics is one too many. I I get the Renegades. That makes perfect sense well, for this uh, movie. For yeah, it may, yeah, <laughs> it, it makes it, it works. Cause I, I, yeah, cause on that would be it's balanced because on the one side of the you know on the other side of the vortex there's there's two two people that you have one killing the other and then you have in the vortex you have two sets of people one banishing the other and I mean that's kind of balanced between those two sides but they add, they don't do that they they add the apathetics. And there was something that dawned on me when I watched Zardoz this time. It, it seems that Arthur runs a specific region of wherever the hell they live, Vortex 4, I think. And there are all these other immortals. Does that mean that there are other immortals in charge of different Vortexes? Where they're controlling other people? Like I said, I threw out the whole Vortex thing. I was like, okay, it, it's just a Vortex. It's a Vortex. I Because none of the other immortals seem to know that Arthur has created Zardoz. None of them question, where does all this green bread come from? How are we getting all these grain and supplies? Apparently. No, no. no, I think they know of Zardoz. They don't know what Arthur is doing aside from what he's supposed to be doing. The, The fact that he's creating Zed to come over and kill everyone. I think that's that's the thing. I think they know of Zardoz because how would they not know with a fucking giant head? But I think I think one of them mentions something about it, and and it doesn't seem to phase May at all in Consuelo when he's telling them memories and he shares those memories. Are there still multiple vortexes then? Could be this vortex. Four. Like I said, I threw it out. I threw it out. I think those are just regions within the vortex, but I don't care because it's just a fucking vortex. I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I just. I'm not gonna even think uh, about it. That, cause... Yeah, I guess that makes some kind of sense that there's the whole outside region, and then so maybe the vortex oh. is like a square within it, and each corner is like vortex one, two, three, four, and outside of it's where all the fucking terminators and shit is. I maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There's just one big area sectioned off for brutals and the exterminators, and oh god. So send your questions for Zardoz into P.O. Box 876 in uh, Vortex 4, uh, the Earth. Uh, speaking of boxes, I think we have some more messages from uh, some of our past guests. Oh, that was nice. They, they probably, yeah, they probably have some nice things to say, right? Sure. You're nobody till some. This is Scott Mendelson from Forbes, and allow me to wish you a happy second anniversary to the cult cinema cavalcade. Here's to another two years of dissecting movies that no one has heard of and films that we stopped giving a shit about 20 years ago. And let me know when you decide to talk about the movies that really matter, namely the 14 and counting Land Before Time epics that are yearning to be dissected frame by frame. I'm still waiting. Hey, it's Matt from the podcast known as Alphabet Drippings. A big congrats to Cullen and Brandon on hitting the two-year mark. And, yeah, you know, if I had the kind of time you guys have to spend on a show like that, I'd... 
might think of a more productive use for it, but well, any, anyway, the show's fine. Maybe I'm just jealous. Yeah, that's what we'll say. I'm jealous. Oh, and Neil Breen, if you're listening, you don't have to listen to these clowns or their fans. You're a brilliant filmmaker, and they're going to give you nothing but grief. Hold fast. Don't give in. Congrats, guys. Hey, everybody. This is comic book writer and writer of other things, Troy Brownfield, and I just want to wish Cult Cinema Cavalcade a very happy anniversary even if they do completely let you down in trivia competitions. Have a good one, guys. This is Jeff Chandler with True Dungeon. Congrats on two years of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, the only podcast that will review Neil Breen movies. Need I say more? Here's to another two years plus many, many more. And don't forget that if you would like me to be on the show... I will more than likely do it because I'm a little bored. This is Justin from the Justin Beam Radio Hour. Congratulations on two years. I'm honored to have been part of your history here. Actually, I'm pretty embarrassed. Mostly embarrassed. Wait, who is this again? Oh, okay. Uh, I, Um, uh, I guess we knew who our friends are. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, let's, let's just move on. Now it's time in the episode where we rate the movie we just saw. As we are cult cinema cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our ratings are as follows. Stay with your family, which means you are an eternal. You just want to stay, be bored, not do anything, not do Zardoz. Converted, which means you're all down for eating some green bread, hanging out, and uh, studying yourself some uh, Zed Connery. And drinking the Kool-Aid. Let's get this shit show going. You can build a head, create a world, create a god. You're Zardoz. So, Colin, how do you rate Zardoz? Oh, God. You know, we've had a lot of movies on here that really uh, hurt the old thinker. And this, man, uh, I don't know if this one hurts the most, but it, man, it's it's a top 10 brain pain. The, the, I mean, I get, I mean, there is a plot, but you don't get it the first time. And it's not one of those uh, movies like, man, you got to watch it more than once. You can really get it. it. It's a movie that you have to watch. So you can get it, but it's not like in a in a way that you feel satisfied that you learned what the movie is and what's really going on. It's a movie where you watch it and think, why couldn't I have just absorbed this the first time I watched it? And that's because there's too much shit going on. It's just a big damn mess. And that's what it should be called. A big damn mess. A John Borman film. However, that being said, I've watched this movie just... A, a, a ridiculous amount of times and so i think with the amount of times i've watched this movie i can't say that i stay with my family i will say don't watch this movie alone that makes it so much more difficult because it, it needs to be a shared experience where you can say to people did you hear what i heard and when they say yes like oh good i thought i was having a stroke because there's no way that should be in a movie so, yes, I am converted, but only if you make it a shared experience. Brandon, how do you rate Zardoz? One thing I, I 
completely forgot to to mention when we were d- discussing it. But this movie is shot. It looks amazing. <laughs> like the cinematography on it is really good. It it goes with I I'll bring up a a Dietzian phrase. Can is that a term now? Dietzian. He uh, owes us for the royalties for it. So. That's right. Uh, copyright called Sigma Cavalcade. But where he, the way he talked about like Dune, where he was like, oh, this is like the best bad movie ever, where he, I think he was talking about like, it's just not like incompetent in the way it was technically produced. It's not like a Tommy Wiseau Troll 2 type thing. It, it looks, it has the appearance of confidence. Like if you see a still from it, if you watch without a sound or anything, it looks really good. So I think this has that going for it but then it's just fucking kneecapped with some of this weird dialogue this too much plotting i don't even want to call it heavy deep stuff but it's so much plotting that it's simple a plot of this guy coming to eradicate and reset the world is made incredibly complex and it's just got weird dialogue like the penis is evil the penis shoots seeds john borman has this idea and a lot of them in his head and i don't think he knows how to spell them out (laughs) or he doesn't know how to tell us like you said the first time you watch this movie probably the second time you watch this movie maybe even the third you're like the the hell but it i don't know if i have zardoz stockholm syndrome where things may have started to make more sense to me with this movie i find it in an odd way, I don't think Zardoz isn't a good movie. It's got a lot of like bad qualities to it. It's got some oddly great qualities to it too. It's weird. I find I'm just I'm fascinated by this misfire. I don't know. I I think it's it's easily watchable because there's so much strange to it. There's some really cool effects to it. There's odd lines. There's some interesting themes and ideas that are just hidden in complexities and bad dialogue and and everything like that. Sean Connery. He does best by being in that ridiculous outfit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with converted Arnzardas as well. It, it's just I'm I don't know. I said I watched this four times for this. I didn't hate it. I watched it with two different commentaries, and I watched it twice on its own. But it's just I I find the movie interesting to look at. It's it's watchable. It it takes I like he's like Colin said. We've probably both seen this. I don't know, fifteen to twenty times. It takes a lot of time for it to sink into you. So like I said, I might have Zardoz Stockholm Syndrome here, but I've always found it fascinating in its badness. Maybe I have the what Jim Dietz has to Dune. I don't think I'm as passionately in love with Zardoz as Jim Dietz is with Dune, but I find it to be a well-made bad movie, I, I suppose, in a lot of technical facets that, I, that interest me. The cinematography on this movie is outstanding it does not deserve the cinematography but it's got it uh the guy uh, also shot 2001 shot this movie he shot a lot of other some other cool ones too that you'd be like what and he shot zardoz but well this movie's beyond 2001 brandon oh yeah it's beyond 2001 and 1984 you're gonna hear us say converted and then you're gonna go watch zardoz and go fuck these guys but you have to have his history with zardoz (laughs) you know what i'm saying cullen Mm -hmm. you're oddly you express yourself differently, but you're also in a way fascinated with this movie or you wouldn't have been watching it so many times over the years. There's this odd thing that draws us to fucking Zardoz. Yeah. I think that there is a ceiling on how much you can enjoy Zardoz. And I think I'm reaching it. Every time I watch it, I understand the movie a little bit more and I also enjoy it a little bit less. 
But but watching it with other people, like this time I watched it, I was not with other people, and I don't know if I can do that again. Yeah. I watched it all four times, but I was with John Borman one time. So and that's a that, that helps. That's a that's an interesting commentary, and it it help. You shouldn't have to have the freaking director telling you what stuff means to enjoy the damn movie, but it sure helped, <laughs> and it sure made me appreciate the film a little more. The film scholar commentary that I listened to also was pretty good. One of them on it was like a, a big fan of the movie, which was interesting to get his take, but they also fill in on like what it was like an era and different kind of sci-fi at the time. They also regurgitate a lot of Borman's thoughts, but the John Borman commentary definitely helps with it. So with the film scholar, was that like recorded when he was in rehab? Is that what was, it was coming out of it? It was three guys. I think two of them were relatively young and one wasn't like a real old dude that I, he said he saw Zardoz in the theater eight times. And he oh said, he said it was cause he was in college and he thought that there was something with the film that he was missing or it was going to get more profound and, and make sense every time he saw it. And then he admitted, no, um, he said he, he said he didn't really get or enjoy Zardoz more until he, he picked it up at like a much older age, but you have to admit like Zardoz is as much as it, the stinker it was and the, the bomb it was, it influenced things. Logan's run borrows from this damn movie. I don't know why they said, yeah, Zardoz, but this, that, that it <laughs> borrows from it. Like, immensely in places there's there's other movies that that take from it too which is really strange to see something like this that no one i don't think anyone's ever said this was a good movie i think there's people that have appreciated aspects of it ideas from it the ambition behind it but no one's ever been like oh zardoz terrific well yeah there's the episode of of rick and morty with the giant flighting i think that was like the the Gazorpazorp episode where there's a giant flying head and they've got all the aliens that they let the females just take all the DNA from uh, all the males that are in the wild and stuff. But they're um, instead of spitting out like guns and bullets to spit out like sex robots, <laughs> these things out of a giant, you know, stone head. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we're bringing in year three with some more Death Stalking with Death Stalker 3, The Warriors from Hell. As always, thank you for listening, downloading, liking, sharing, or even just mentioning this show in passing. It really means the world to Cullen and I, and we promise to keep delivering you a fine program and to continue to up the ante in year three. This episode has come to an end. We look forward to next time, but first stay tuned for the trailer to Deathstalker 3, The Warriors from Hell, the trailer that actually trails. First, there was Deathstalker, an RIAA Gold Award winner. Then, there was Deathstalker 2, a repeat rental success that rolled the charts for months. Now, the trilogy of rentability is completed with Deathstalker 3, The Warriors from Hell. Here I go again, riding hundreds of miles. Fighting whole armies. (laughs) Up against magic, maybe. John Ellen Nelson of TV's Santa Barbara is... Death Stalker 3, The Warriors from Hell.
Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You can find more of Cullen's work on the Creative Zombie Studios Network and on Twitter at MyNameIsCullen. You can find more of Brandon's work at WhySoBlue.com and on Twitter at BTPeters. Podcast produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon. Narration by Becky. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf found on the freemusicarchive.org network. The movie in today's discussion is property of its respective studio and no infringement is intended. Please remember to leave us an iTunes rating and review. Join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You're nobody till somebody loves you. Hi, this is Neil Breen. Thank you for the support of my past four films. Um, two years. It's very, very exciting to me. I look forward to your future support. Um, anyway. You are done. Done. And it's gold.